We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. We're coming to you on a late Sunday night right now. You'll probably be hearing this right after or in the morning on Monday. We're going to go ahead and kind of try to catch up on the three days of practice since our last records. That's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Some of these days, they practice certain things, third down situations, third and long situations. So this will give some context as to what's been going on in camp, because obviously, as you've seen, if you're following the team the way we think you would be, if you're listening to a podcast like this, the defense has been ahead of the offense. Now, that's natural anyway in training camp, but that's only going to be, you know, further pushed along when one, you're going against a defensive coordinator like Wink Martindale, who's putting so much different things on your plate every snap. And two. When you're practicing things like third and long situations, I mean, third and long is advantageous to the defense. There was a clip I saw from training camp live where Brian Dable was like, look, we're always we're always going to win on third. And he's talking to his defense. It was like, we're always going to win on third and long. We got to get them into third and long. We're always going to win on third and long. So I think about all that stuff, Nick, as I think about the early struggles of the offense. But it's not lost on me that this offense has been unbelievably bad now for two seasons and when I say unbelievably bad I mean really truly unbelievably bad when you look at the when you look at the actual numbers the EPA the play you know everything you want to look at the red zone offense the explosive plays it's all among the worst or second worst in the league now that all in my mind at least and I know there's different arguments that can be made for both sides in my mind that is not all on coaching and offensive line and injuries when you're that bad there's other factors in play and it it's it's not to me at least like Okay, well, we change the coaching, we upgrade the O-line, maybe we'll get a little healthier. We're going to go from 32nd to, to 10th immediately. There's going to have to be progress that, that's made, and they're going to have to get really creative with the coaching. And more, most importantly of all, the quarterback position is going to have to take a big jump forward. They're going to have to get much better quarterback play. So with all that said, Nick, I wanted to kind of catch up with where you're at right now with this team after a few practices. 
um, and just get a feel for what you what you make of what you've seen so far, what you've heard so far, and what you've read so far. Yeah, we could start with some of the bright spots of just guys who are flashing in camp. Those are the things that typically catch the headlines, right? Offense has struggled. That's going to happen in third and long situations. There's really nothing new there. I love the fact that on Friday, Wink Martindale was a third and long type of practice. Wink Martindale was just bringing the pressure and the defense was winning. We saw Darnay Holmes get a pick six in that practice. And he's one of the people that I really wanted to start with here because we weren't 100% certain that he was going to make the roster. Now, we we felt pretty strongly that he was because he's on a cheap contract and we know there's a lot of upside there and he was a former five-star recruit and that matters in the NFL. And we've seen him play up and down throughout his career. But I love the fact that, and we'll, we can start with this conversation with Darnay Holmes. I love the fact that he had interceptions, jumping Daniel Jones' route, reading Daniel Jones's eyes, baiting Daniel Jones, and then coming away with them. And then he has the pick six. And then on Saturday's practice, and this kind of goes to the offense, the Wandell Robinson route, the stick and nod route seen around the world, all around Twitter, that was an adjustment made to bait Darnay Holmes. And I love the fact that we saw that adjustment made from Brian Dable, from Mike Kafka, and it was implemented the next day in practice to get a touchdown in the red zone. Every coaching staff adjusts, but it's just somewhat refreshing to see it happen this early on in this new regime during training camp freaking practices. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's a great place to start because Darnay Holmes is a player who, in my mind, is taking really well to the new coaching. So I think just from the outside perspective looking in, I'd love to be there at practice. And, and maybe I will be. I've just talked to my old boss when I was on the NFL team over at CBS about getting me credentialed again. And, and we're both going to try to go to a training camp practice at some point or a few practices. Once I get credentialed, I can just apply for any day. Um, obviously I don't really have many days off, but I do have Fridays. So hopefully some Fridays, but what I would love to ask is, look, is cause or, I'm sorry, look, are they coaching you any differently? The defensive backs I'd love to ask. And specifically, I'd like to ask Darnay Holmes because he was a player who, when I watched his college tape at UCLA, I got really excited for, I remember calling that pick as one of my favorite values, if not my favorite value in that class, because he played an aggressive style of cornerback. And I don't ultimately feel like the Patrick Graham style of defense was best for his skill set. And I think the Wink Martindale defense is evidenced by these first few training camp practices and maybe how they're preaching and how they're teaching these guys to play defensive back is advantageous to his skill set because he's aggressive and he's proven that he can do things like bait the quarterback. Like you went over so well. I mean, he's stacking interceptions day after day after day. That's big time stuff from any player. And Darnay Holmes is making the most out of his opportunity right now. And everyone came in thinking, oh, wow, this is Cordell Flott's job to lose. Well, that is not the case. And that's clearly not going to happen anytime soon if Darnay Holmes plays like this. And yet, at the same time, you see a coach, like you said, and Dave will adjust to this and say, look, they're playing this style of aggressive defense. Wink is We knew Wink was going to do this. And Darnay Holmes is really taking advantage of it in the first few days. Let's use, like you said, the little bit of bait let's 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 give him a look that he thinks he can jump and then we'll we'll take advantage of that and that was a great delivery by jones it's not a long throw but he had to dart that behind onto the back shoulder to get it away from the inside coverage at the second level um he threw that at a really good velocity and in a really good spot and obviously it was a good catch by holmes as well but i wonder what you think about the idea that darnay holmes could actually break out this much later in his career because most people think oh a year three breakout is not that common um but I think maybe with this coaching staff and with this style of defense, this could be the breakout for home. I think he needs to get better with his feet. I think he needs to get better with his hands. And it's just going to come down to confidence, trusting your eyes and trusting your technique. Because 
and it's hard to glean this and I'm not overreacting just from the small amount of practice film that we've seen. And those two picks, that's awesome for him because you look at him and you're like, this guy probably has the inside track with Cordell Flott's weight into the starting lineup if he can, you know, continue with these big splash plays in camp. But he's not perfect in camp either. Like he did surrender the touchdown to Wondell Robinson. I love that adjustment from the offense. And then he had that one rep against Richie James that we saw going around Twitter, which was just a fantastic rep by Richie James where he left Darnay Holmes in the dust because if you just look at Darnay Holmes's feet, they get a little bit tight. It was an outside release from Richie James. He ends up riding the outside release, and he just kind of got a little bit overeager, a little bit overaggressive on that little shoulder shimmy that Richie James showed him, and then he kind of baited Darnay Holmes outside, and Richie James just went inside. Darnay Holmes ends up almost falling over on the play. I mean, that's not a great rep right there from Darnay Holmes, and I'm not going to sit here and overreact about it whatsoever, but it it just goes to show you that there's still work with Darnay Holmes. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse and say that he's going to have a breakout type season, but I do believe that he has a place on this roster and he'll probably get that first crack at that really important position of playing nickel in Wink Martindale's defense. Yeah, and and, I'm, and I just want to clarify when break, I say breakout, I don't mean breakout into like one of the top corners in the NFL. I think he's very limited by his size constraints um, and a few other traits that he doesn't have that would lead me to believe he can be that, but Breakout for what his role will be and just mm. I should just say maximization of what he can be within this specific system. I think this system will definitely maximize whatever that is that Darnay Holmes is. And I think it's it's showing early. Um, and I like to see that as well. Sticking on the defense a little bit. This is something I actually got a little bit of inside information on. And then it kind of blew up like so like <laughs> early in the morning. Uh, and I think it was the day this article came out. Um which kind of expanded on it. My cousin, shout out cousin Ari and uh, Uncle Steve, two big time listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast. So shout out to them both. My cousin who was at practice the day before was like, I got I, I my my main takeaway from practice is this. Xavier McKinney is the quarterback of the defense. He gets them set up for every play. He gets them lined up for every play. He's the first guy in every single drill. He's like, trust me, this is the dude. And then it came out like, you know, like six hours later that same day, it came out. Um, before practice that next day came out that Xavier McKinney was wearing the green dot, obviously, you know, confirming he's the quarterback of the defense. He had a good conversation with Eric Weddle, one of the headiest safeties in the game. One of the best safeties. I, I loved watching Eric Weddle play. And I was, I was thrilled when he got to come back with the Rams. That was fun. I'm just a huge fan of his throughout his career. And who better, what better person to play for than somebody like Eric Weddle, who is a pro bowler every single season in that Ravens defense, wearing the green dot, playing the role that Xavier McKinney is now going to play with the Giants in this same Wink Martindale defense. And he picked his brain and he got to know probably things that are going to help him operate in this role and get caught up to speed faster and not have miscommunications or as many, I should say, there'll still be probably some, but as many miscommunications in the early going. So I'm thrilled about this news. Wearing the green dot, that's not really a surprise, right? Because the Giants released Logan Ryan and we thought maybe that was in part because they wanted to kind of pass the proverbial torch over to Xavier McKinney, allow him to become the leader of this defense so early on when the Giants are, I don't want to say in a complete rebuild, but when the Giants aren't going to be as competitive as they hope to be down the line. So that's not surprising to me, especially with Blake Martinez you know, coming back from injury and kind of getting ingratiated back into the defense. But I have such a high expectation and hope for Xavier McKinney. I think he can kill this role. I love the fact, like you said, he's talking to Eric Weddle. He's just always in position, and I think him running this defense at such a young age is going to be great for his development and for his confidence, and I'm just looking forward to the marriage between Xavier McKinney as the signal caller of a Wink Martindale freaking aggressive defense. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Nick, because one thing I think about, um, you know, I guess along the lines of not everything is all roses, not necessarily saying it's the opposite either, thorns, but is there any concern with you to the change in role that McKinney's going to undergo in this new defense with Wink Martindale? Because there's probably going to be fewer snaps for him in that single high look. I mean, we even saw a play from camp that will go over in a little bit where Daniel Jones threw an interception and Dane Belton was playing in that role as that, as that deep high safety. So is that at all concerning for you? Because I did feel like he broke out within that role last year. And I know he has the ability to play in the box. Again, he did it 33% of the time at Bama. He has the ability to play over the slot against the tight end. Again, he did it at Alabama successfully, but I really felt like he was at his best when he was in the deep half. When he was in the single high, but I mean, did you look at the Hunter Renfro interception? That wasn't him in the single high. He was covering like Tyreek Hill down the field sometimes. Patrick Graham was still doing some unique things with Xavier McKinney. It just wasn't, I feel like, as extensive as what he's going to do with Wink Martindale. So it comes down to, do you think he can execute those assignments? I think he can, and I'm excited to see it. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of trepidation because he is such a young player. He's not overly experienced because he missed most of his rookie season due to a foot injury. So there's a little bit of trepidation there. He still has to prove it at a consistent level. But I'm very hopeful for it, and I'm confident in Xavier McKinney becoming that true leader of this defense. No, I think he can definitely become the leader of the defense, the green dot guy, play all these different roles. I'm not I'm not thinking it along those lines. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if he's better off playing the deep half in this defense. In general, if we're better off, as in the Giants defense, having him back there rather than a Dane Belton type or something like that. But time will tell in that regard, because I think if it ultimately comes down to, look, the Giants corners are, are not playing at a high level and Dane Belton or whoever ends up playing in the deep half uh, or, you know, enough times or at a, at a decent percentage is, is giving up plays or in the wrong position. I'm sure Wink Martindale will will revert back to doing a lot of the same things that Graham did or even just not even that just you know, utilizing McKinney in that way, in a different way, like kind of as that deep half safety valve. So we'll see what happens there. I liked him back there as the ball hawk. But again, I do, like you said, have confidence that he can operate in all these roles. And you know what? It might ultimately be valuable to get him matched up with some of these tight ends that have been mismatches in the past or just get him around the box to make plays on, you know, design screens and design quick stuff the Giants might not be ready for. Just get another heady guy around the line of scrimmage to kind of make those plays. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
And he's excited about it too. If you listen to Schmelke's podcast, Definitely. just blitzing, being around the box, being able to play man coverage on tight ends, wearing a ton of hats. And of course, it's going to keep the offense on their toes because it's less predictable than say even a Patrick Graham defense. And he's a coordinator that I love, but a lot of people talk about Wink Martindale and how that's the most difficult defensive coordinator they have to prepare for. And hopefully we could start to see that just the secondary needs to hold up. And we all know that's the uh, biggest bugaboo that could hold that back. Yeah, without a doubt. And that that's a good point, Nick, because if he himself is excited about the changes in the role, then that's probably good enough for me. Um, am I a little scared about having a Dean Belton back there at times? Sure. I'll be honest. Yes, I am. But so far, so good. Belton made a really good play on a ball uh, in practice. We'll talk about that in a bit. Let's talk about some more of the overarching things first, though. Uh, I want to talk about this whole idea of the defense being so far ahead of the offense so far. The offense, quote unquote, struggling in practice. Uh, all of that led to on the th- after the third day of practice, uh, Giants beat reporter and I and I you can't see it on a podcast form, but I am using air quotations when I describe him as a beat reporter. But Giants beat reporter Pat Leonard of the Daily News put out an article right after that third practice like oh my god enough is enough Daniel Jones is playing so bad the Giants have to move on the Giants are gonna have to make the move to Tyrod Taylor and look trust me when I tell you this because we've had this conversation before Nick and I know I'm a little bit in an I'm, I'm definitely in a different box than you I don't I don't personally believe Daniel Jones is a lock head-on definitely a better option for the Giants than Tyrod Taylor to me Daniel Jones is slow with his eyes incredibly slow with his eyes doesn't really see the field, see or feel the blitz that well, doesn't process that well, doesn't throw well off platform. These are all things I think Tyrod actually does better than him. Now, within the pocket, I think Daniel Jones is a much better option than Tyrod Taylor. So it kind of goes to what can the Giants be as an offense. Ultimately, I think Daniel Jones is a higher ceiling, and I think he is the better option right now. But to me, it is nowhere near a lock. Having said that, having said that, if you're making any kind of declaration, like the one Pat Leonard made, after three practices in shorts and shells, in shorts and shells, I have been to some of these practices. And Nick, you've seen them. You've been to one or two yourself. These are meaningless. Like I, I'm not, We're, we're going to talk about it, so I don't want to kill our own show, right? But these are not very meaningful practices. These are borderline installation days before the pads and before the, the pads come on. I mean, look. It's good to get the reps in. It's good to make the throws. But these guys are going at half speed. The offensive line, defensive line combinations are nothing, are, are basically negated and almost meaningless. And half the time, the throws that are made would have either been sacks or they would have been different throws because they would have been impacted by the pass rusher and the inability to step into the throw or to throw from that clean platform or that balanced space. So everything that you're saying about the offense, these declarations that Pat Leonard is making, are, are, are awful because they're just not like they're not based in anything that has any kind of meaning. You cannot make declarations about the offense, the defense, the quarterback, anything after three practices. So it was just crazy to see in my mind that happened. And then he went on and kind of pushed that narrative to Brian Dable. And I actually thought Brian Dable had an amazing answer for Pat Leonard when he asked him about this. How much tolerance do you have for inefficiency or lack of production on offense? Like at what point of the preseason do you go from it's okay to make mistakes to this needs to look better than this? In what regard, Pat? Like completing passes, cracking the eyes block. 36 to 9 or like a full like first down, second down, or just a game? or Well, I have practices to base it off of, but you know, just completing passes, succeeding 
went over a lot of third and long situations, right? We did a lot of situational football right now. And he talked about all the different reasons why the results have been the way they are. And look, everyone has heard coaches pay lip service. We've heard Joe Judge do it. We've heard all the other coaches that have failed before. And it's easy to buy into it at the time, but it doesn't always prove true. But this one feels different to me because this is not week 10 of the regular season where the offense is still in the mud, just struggling to get anywhere. And we keep hearing the same old thing about why the excuses for why. This is the third or fourth practice of training camp in a newly installed offense with some new pieces. And not only some new pieces, more importantly, against the defense that's brand new as well, but also putting on the pressure day in and day out. So to me, man. I do not care at all about the struggles of Daniel Jones or the offense right now, at least these first three practices. And I thought it was just such a poorly, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was an attempt by Pat Leonard to draw clicks, people say. I just don't understand the dude at all, so I don't really know his motives, anything like that. But I just feel like if you're making declarations, again, about a quarterback three days into practice of training camp, you're just out of your mind. This is all I can say, Nick. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes for a good story. And Daniel Jones isn't on the most sturdy ground, I guess you could say. I, I think that he is, you know, has the pretty clear track to the starting job. But you're right. If he really fell on his face, Tyrod Taylor is sitting there. And that's probably more competition than he's had his entire career other than his rookie season with Eli Manning. So that's, I guess, one way you can look at it. But this is a guy who's writing an article and it's going to get big headlines here. But. Is it as bad as Deadspin running with a Wes Steinberg tweet, which is freaking hilarious? Yeah, I saw you put that. You love the Steinberg stuff. I don't. I'm not a huge, Stein, bro. I'm not a huge Steinberg fan, but uh, just find it kind of stupid and, and and old. I know everybody loves it, so I'm not poo pooing anybody's party there. Enjoy, enjoy away with the Steinberg stuff. A couple of my friends really love the Steinberg stuff. I don't know. I just find it kind of lame. I don't know. It's just not that funny to me. But I get it. I get it. It's not bad. But again, look, man. I'm not trying to say Tyrod Taylor gives gives the Giants a better chance to win. I am not saying that at all. I think, again, Jones is the higher ceiling floor. Pretty similar to me. Obviously, that's, you know, this is not like an opinion, really. You can just look at how low the floor has been for Jones through three years. And I know things are changing. But the fact of the matter is this. You can't make these declarations. Because if you had put Tyrod Taylor in there for these first three practices with the first team offense, because guess what? Tyrod Taylor has not been that great even with the second team offense so far. He's made some splash plays, just like Jones, but both have struggled. If you had put Tyrod Taylor in there with these for these first three practices, he would have been just as bad, if not worse, probably worse, to be honest, or damn close, if not worse. And so what, what, what's Pat Leonard writing about then? Like, what is the point of it? If that's the case, then what is the point of what he's saying? That I don't know, Nick. But I also thought it was ridiculous. While we're on this subject, I'm just going to get it all out here right now because it was so stupid to me. Just classic early training camp nonsense that's all drummed up and created by one person. I don't understand why the Giants are still really just allowing him into their practices, into the facility. Can't imagine the players like him. I don't really understand anything about him. But again, he drew up the Kadarius Tony stuff. Nick, did you see this? He, he yeah. asked Tony how he felt about the trade rumors. And he called them the fa a fact that you were the Giants were, were making calls to trade you. And Tony was just like, look, I talked to the guys in the building and they denied it. And they basically called this BS. And Pat was asking him about rumors that he made up. Like, how insane is that? Pat asked him about a trade rumor 
that no other I, I found I actually looked into this. The only other person who corroborated this, zero other corroboration. You didn't hear any teams interested. You didn't hear beat reporters from another team that might have been talking trade with the Giants for Darius Tony. So to me personally, Nick, I don't think he was ever on the trade block. I don't think the Giants ever made a call about Kadarius Tony. I think it's possible, Nick, the Giants received a call about Tony when all this stuff was happening with the no show at the, for like the first couple of days of voluntary OTAs. It's possible they received the call. That's what any good GM would do. He would take a call, unlike Dave Gettleman at pick two number, uh, at pick overall number two in the 2018 draft when he refused to take calls for Saquon Barkley. But any good GM would take a phone call. And so I'm sure Joe Shane picked up the phone and listened. Somebody said, oh, Kadarius Tony, I'll give you a third rounder, a future third or a future fourth. And he's like, goodbye, hangs up the phone. But that's not what Leonard said. Leonard said the Giants were making calls. And again, the only other person who even reported this at all was Jordan Ronan. And to me, I'm just going to go out here and say this, Nick. I don't buy that. I think it's possible he, <laughs> he just kind of went with the Pat Leonard rumor. Just my own take on this, Nick. I don't have any evidence to suggest that either way. But other than those two, no one reported this. So just crazy to ask the player that, frame it like that. It's just such a way to villainize the Giants and villainize him and just put him in a situation that makes him uncomfortable. So I just didn't like that. It's a way to get a story because we're sitting here talking about it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It did work. So I guess it did work. We shouldn't be giving this attention. <laughs> Let's I just get back to the st Stick to the substance of <laughs> the wide receiver position and how yes. Darius Slayton is dropping some passes. And look, I'm not a big stickler with drop passes in training camp when it's Kenny Galladay and when it's Kadarius Tony and when it's Wondell Robinson, but Darius Slayton, as we've said, the giants can save $2.5 million by cutting ties with the guy who was in the last year of his deal. And you have players who are really stepping up in camp, like Richie James, who offers something on special teams. And we've brought this up in the past. I get it, but Darius Slayton needs to have a really strong camp to stick here. And it seems like it, He's not catching the football, and that's that that could be problematic for him down the line. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And I know I don't want to say we're di we we differ too much on this, but I do have a soft spot in my spot in my heart for Darius Slayton because that was the first year we really dug into this thing, and the first year that was me and you. I I believe that was our first year, or, yeah. or was that yeah when we were doing I came, this? I came in week three. It was my right. first game. Was Daniel Jones's first game starting? Yep, that was a great time to restart this thing. Uh, but. It's a soft spot in my heart because watching film with you, I learned a lot that season. It was more interactive experience, and it has been in general. Than, and this is not a knock on Nick Turchin. He's doing bigger. He's doing big things right now. Um, he just got another coaching job. So, But it's a my different man. experience, and I, and I learned a lot that season. And, and it was just really fun to watch through the Darius Slayton film with you and talk it over each podcast. And he had really good tape his rookie year. It's, it's just yeah. surprising to me where this has gone. Like We always talk about, Nick, how how – progression is not always linear, right? Like a player starts to go up. It doesn't mean he's definitely going to get better and better each year with more practice and more time. Sometimes it evens out. Sometimes it goes down. It's gone down, obviously, for Slayton. There's been some injuries. In my opinion, there's been incredibly inconsistent quarterback play, inconsistent offensive line play, inconsistent to bad uh, play calling, all things that aren't going to help anybody, especially wide receiver. But like you said, there are things that he can control, like the drop passes and the concentration issues. And ultimately, the route running nuances and the, the flashes he showed as a route runner in that 2019 season have not have been fewer and far in between since then. And so it's not like, look, we all don't love, we didn't love that Garrett system. We didn't love all the stick routes, girls. 
But there were other opportunities and routes for Slayton to run. And even on those routes, he could have ran those routes better to create separation. And all the numbers show that he didn't do a good job of creating separation. So I unfortunately, I do still have that soft spot in my heart. And I do think he benefits from having that rapport with Daniel Jones. If push came to shove, right, Nick? Like if Galladay gets hurt again, if Tony gets hurt again, if Shepard gets hurt again. I would personally rather have him on the field than a David Sills or, or a Richie James. I just think the rapport with Jones gives him a better opportunity of the Giants actually moving the ball on offense. But you're right. If things continue to go poorly for him in camp, it's a new coaching staff that does not have previous ties to him, and he doesn't really impact the game on special teams. So I can see the case that he would be cut. And he might get cut, too, especially if Richie James keeps balling out like he apparently is. I mean, some of the clips that you see, it, it looks like he's moving incredibly well. And it's funny, too, because Richie James has a similar type of build, similar type of playing style to somebody like, a you know, a Kadarius Tony, just like a smaller type of shiftier receiver like a Wandell Robinson. But I don't want to just say they're all the same because they all are very unique. And the way Wandell Robinson is being used, man, over the middle of the field on post, he's being used deep. He's being used on bubble screens. He seems to be used in the backfield sometimes. Same with Richie James, you know, same with Kadarius Tony sometimes. And then you have Saquon Barkley out on the boundary. It doesn't matter what your position is, it seems like, on, in Brian Dable, Mike Kafka's offense, you're probably going to align in a variety of different spots. And I think that's just maybe another way to try to establish mismatches. Should be fun to watch when the season rolls around and the Giants play Tennessee. Yeah, you're right. And let's talk about some more specific players and plays from these practices uh, that stood out. Obviously, Thursday was that third down focus practice. Um, Friday was a third and long focus practice and Saturday a little bit more of a walkthrough. But let's talk about uh, Wandale Robinson right now because we discussed him a little bit at the top of the show, but it it's impossible to not be excited about right now about Wandale Robinson because one, he's getting first more first team reps than we ever expected at this stage of it, I think. We can all agree on that, too. He's being used in all of the ways we want. I saw a clip that Justin Pennick put up the other day where he was used in orbit motion, which I freaking love to see. He made that big catch in the red zone where he was kind of in the slot there. He's getting opportunities to play with Daniel Jones, play with the first team offense, be used in a variety of ways, and be put the way... Like, everything we asked about last year going into the season with Jason Garrett, remember when we were, like, in the preseason, we want this to be a three-pronged offense. We wanted to run through Barkley. Tony and Galladay, and we want Barkley and Tony to be in motion often, used in different directions, so the de so the defense is moved, shifting their eyes one way, the other way, and that could all be the case this year with Tony again, but also with a player like Wondell Robinson, and he's already making his mark already, or I'm sorry, I, I said already, he's already making his mark with the first team offense. I'm definitely getting excited about this, Nick, and I think he has a good chance to play a bigger role than I originally expected. I think so too. I thought maybe this would be like, ah, oh, you know, you'll ingratiate him in. But we did say, I'm, I'm sure they have a plan when you spend a, you know, a second round pick on a guy and not a lot of people seem to maybe value him there. I can't really speak for the NFL just in like the media circles, but man, just his short bit of training camp practices we've seen, he's been everywhere. And all the people who are out there, the people on the beat, the fans who are in the stands watching are saying that he is heavily involved and he is not letting down. So, I mean, that drum beat, that, that's, you know, it's starting to pound right now, dude, for Wandell Robinson. I think his role could be pretty big even in week one. Yeah, that's that. And that, you know, I it was hard for me to expect that going in, but especially given Sterling Shepard's timeline, it really does feel like the Giants are not messing around here. They're going to get speed on the field. They're going to get spread. They're going to spread this thing out. They're going to use tempo and motion often, and they're going to try to beat the defense like that. And if you want to want to run a lot of quick game, like I assume the Giants are going to want to run, 
and they kind of have to run, if I'm going to be honest right now, at least at this stage of their development, where you need to have a lot of speed on. This is my personal opinion. I don't know if you agree with this, Nick, but I think you need to have a lot of speed on the field. I think you need to spread it out, and I don't think you want to lean on a lot of 12 and 13 personnel type packages if you want to run this type of quick game stuff. And so ultimately, the faster he can get on the field, the better chance the Giants have to accomplish the goal they want, in my mind, from a philosophical standpoint on the offensive side of the ball. And you need guys who can win at the line of scrimmage with their releases. You need guys who can get open and create separation like that. It's called quick game for a reason. That ball needs to come out of your hand once you hit that back foot. Once you read things, you have predetermined reads, pre-snap. If it's what it is pre-snap to post-snap, fire the football, get it out of your hand. Now, if that works efficiently, then it's all well and good. And you can you know pick up six yards here, seven yards, eight yards, maybe break a long one. And Wando Robinson, look at his feet, man. He's quick. He's quick-footed. He can release off the line of scrimmage. He can go outside. He can go inside, work the middle of the field. So him, Kadarius, Tony, operating together on the field with their ability to release off the line of scrimmage and create separation with their athletic ability and quickness, it's going. I, I think it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, well, for sure. Let's talk about a couple other depth chart things and movement there. Daniel Bellinger, Jordan Akins, and Chris Myrick saw some first-team reps on Thursday's practice. The big takeaway here for me is Ricky Seals-Jones. What's going on with him, man? Is, do you have any updates there? I haven't seen much at all. Yeah, I'm not really 100% sure. I mean, he's not on the PUP or anything like that. Right. So we'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure he's not excused. Great. It's not like he's AWOL. Oh, yeah, he's definitely excused, I'm sure. It doesn't seem like that type of situation. But I, he's missing valuable reps, and, and he's definitely someone who I, who I think, to me at least, separates himself in the tier of tight ends that I want to see on the field. It's Bellinger, it's Ricky Seals Jones, and then there's a break for me. Unless, you know, Andre Miller can continue to make some plays and spark things a little bit. Because again, I do think Andre Miller is an interesting option just based on the fact that I've seen what Brian Dable wants to do with this tight end position. I know he wants a vertical element to the tight end position within this style of offense, and Miller can potentially give him that, the converted wide receiver. But obviously that's asking for a whole lot right now because he is a converted wide receiver. And he's trying to play the tight end position. That's a lot to ask for for a receiver, you know, for that type of player in year one. But definitely interesting. Those young guys are going to get a lot of reps, too, because like even like July 29th, Jordan Akins wasn't at practice either with Ricky Seals Jones. So there's just a lot of reps for those young guys, which I love to see. Uh, let, Let these young guys get all these reps, soak it up, get all the knowledge and hopefully build their profile heading into this season. Because once Ricky Seals Jones is back from whatever he's missing, he's probably going to slide in and, and start taking some of those first team reps away from Bellinger. Now I'm not hundred percent certain of that, but I would imagine that the team probably wants to give Seals Jones an honest try. If there isn't anything serious going on. Yeah, for sure. And Chris Myrick is a guy who we talked about a little bit on some of the all 22s last year. Just some of you flashed a little bit, has a little bit of a different skill set. could be an interesting sleeper. Let's talk about Darian Beavers and Carter Coughlin. They actually both shared and split up some first team reps at inside backer next to take Crowder. Cause Blake Martinez, obviously he's not going to be, he's, he's practicing, but not every day. He's got to take some rest days coming off the ACL. So what'd you make of those two being the guys to get those first team reps? I think that's awesome. I think you have to try these guys out to see what they have. I mean, you don't have a solid or you don't have a firm number two, right? You have Tay Crowder. I think Tay Crowder's fine. I think, like I've said several times, he's good enough to make a roster. Don't necessarily want him starting. And you have Blake Martinez coming off of a torn ACL. So how reliable is he going to be? Let's see what Darian Beavers and Carter Coughlin can do. Wink Martindale likes to use a variety of different linebackers, a variety of different body types. So get these guys on the field, get their feet wet just at training camp. You know, they're not even hitting yet. See what they can offer, see what they can do. And then you'll get to know them a little bit better, you know, between the sidelines. 
And then come game time, you can have a better idea as a coaching staff on how to implement their skill sets if they even make the team. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. And I'd like to see McFadden get in the mix at some point, but obviously that's not going to be the case right away. Um, and that's saying something, at least to me, Nick, because Daniel Bellinger got in the mix right away. And to me, at least, I'm not so sure that that second inside backer spot, or this is even like the third and fourth because Blake is the one and he's sitting out, isn't, isn't, or, or shouldn't be as open for, as up for grabs as the tight end spot because I, I, I almost feel like it should. But, you know, different guys come along different, different ways. So that's just something to keep an eye on as well. Let's talk a little bit about Ellerson Smith, who we discussed a bit earlier in the Edge podcast before training camp, somebody who we are both probably a little higher on than most, somebody who Blake Martinez personally called out and said, watch out for him. He's explosive, and he's a perfect fit for the Swing Barndale defense. He looks, from what I've seen so far uh, at practice, he look or not being there, but just from, from afar, he looks like he's in incredible shape, and he has had a couple flashes so far in camp where it's like if they were actually putting this thing on with pads and or the preseason or whatnot, he might have he might have converted these these pressures to sack. So starting to get a little excited about him as well. Absolutely. I'm really pumped about Ellerson Smith. Just hopefully he can stay healthy. Players just raving about Ellerson Smith. And we know about the athletic physical abilities that he possesses, just being himself in his body and just what he can do with himself. So I'm excited about that. We're going to have to obviously wait and see it actually materialize. But it's uh, it's cool to see the, the defense winning so much. And we kind of discussed that a little bit earlier. But we saw Dexter Lawrence completely wrecked a play and would have been a sack, just kind of busting through the middle of the field. I'm not sure if there was a stunt or a twist or what exactly happened there. But it seems like you have a lot of defensive backs who are coming up with you know one-on-one -on -one wins and getting their hands on footballs, I know Aaron Robinson broke up a couple passes on Thursday's practice. And even in the second team, you have guys like Gavin Heslop, who the Giants just added last week, getting his hands breaking up a couple passes. Michael Chiquette. So it's kind of a, it's kind of cool to see that the defense is stepping up, even though it's just training camp. Don't read into it too much, but I feel like if there's something we're concerned about, it's that secondary, like we've said, and being able to break up passes even in training camp. Hopefully, that can translate. Yeah, exactly. Look, we spent the whole offseason talking about last year was the offensive line. This year, our biggest concern was the secondary, especially within this style of defense. But early on, the secondary has gotten the better of the, I don't want to say receivers, but the offense for sure. The defense has gotten better of the, of the offense by far so far. So that can't be a bad sign for the secondary. And it does look like from the clips I've seen, Robinson is exactly what I thought he'd be. Just that really handsy, physical type of corner who's kind of just always around the ball and on the ball or right on the receiver. Um, you know, sometimes got beat. Sometimes he'll he'll make a play on the ball, but he's always kind of going to be physical at the point of contact, which I definitely like. Uh, still a little bit worried about his kind of straight line speed against some receiver matchups that he's going to have to face as that CB2. But overall, I think he's definitely had a pretty solid camp as well. And some of the sacks on Saturday's practice, Leonard Williams, Quincy Roche, Ellerson Smith, O'Shane Zimenez, B. Evan Neal on one, probably using that quickness. Darian Beavers had a sack. Dane Belton knocked a pass away. So it, it's not just, you know, on the third and longs. It's also in these other team drills where the defense is stepping up as well. Yeah, for sure. And and actually, you know, O'Shane got around Evan Neal and, and, and Quincy Roche gave him a lot of trouble in practice, Evan Neal. So, again, I don't want to make too much of the O-line, D-line type stuff right now because it's just not. Yeah. It's like these guys are just coached not to really make too much. Don't put yourself in a position to get injured, basically. Uh, so I don't want to make too much of that yet, but definitely something to call out for sure. I want to talk a little bit about 
some of the things we've been seeing with the offensive line, because that's what's most interesting to me from kind of the last two practices. And the first one being Jamil Douglas getting a lot of reps at center. So we've seen Feliciano need like a medical day, they called it, nothing serious, but at the same time, he wasn't practicing. And instead of kind of, you know, Op, you know, opting to play play someone who we might have expected going in. They're they're using Jamil Douglas at center. Azudu then got to play guard. The next day, they kind of switched it around a little bit. They had a little bit of Shane Lemieux at times at center and Azudu at guard, and, and then mix of kind of those three: Azudu, Douglas, Shane Lemieux for those two spots, with the exception of Azudu not playing center. Um, what do you make of that mix right there? What did you think of those combinations? I know at times. Uh, even Shane Lemieux at center got the best at times of Dexter Lawrence, from what I'm hearing. What do you think about the, these three players playing that position? And, and where do you think this is kind of shaking out right now for the Giants interior? Because I will say this, Nick, as I look forward to the season, that's we all we talk about all oh, the secondaries are our biggest concern. We're, we're so we're, we're both believers that the offensive line is going to be much improved. But to me, if you're going to ask me, look, if we look at this thing in week six and we're like, crap. It's still the same old Giants line for the most part. We're not playing well. To me, it will be because of the interior. So what do you make of what's going on there now? I make that the Giants aren't confident in that second center spot and maybe not even fully confident in the first center spot. Now, it's kind of hard to read into that because Feliciano wasn't at that one practice. But when you're trying to plug in Jamil Douglas, you gave Ben Bredesen third team snaps. I believe that was on a Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Jamil Douglas, it, it seems like he's not getting the ball up when he snaps sometimes. I, I've seen a couple of people that are on the beat out there saying that the snaps were low. He got beat really bad by Leonard Williams. That's going to happen sometimes. But if I had to say anything, I think it's just they're not fully confident on what they're doing at that center spot. And they kind of want to rotate and figure it out now in training camp instead of going into you know the third preseason game and still not knowing why. And that's why you want to give Shane Lemieux a try. You want to see what Josh Azudu is going to do at guard and just kind of move these bodies around and figure out who your best five are so you can put them out there. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Nick. And I'm going to keep an eye on this as well. I will say this. I've adjusted my expectations for sure for the depth chart coming into this thing, thinking Ben Bredesen might play in the mix. Even at times we talked about Max Garcia, maybe getting in the mix. I think those guys are falling further behind. And Jamil Douglas is somebody who's really risen up the depth chart fast in training camp and somebody we're now definitely keeping an eye on. And I love to see Josh Azudu get some first team reps already, because for me, ceiling is always going to be Azudu on this line is going to be the highest ceiling for this giants offense. I don't know where that will be. If Shane Lemieux is playing well, but you know, look, if Shane Lemieux continues to get some reps at center, I, I ultimately think that maybe the highest upside version of this line is Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Josh Azuto at left guard, Shane Lemieux at center. Why not? If he can pick it up fast, right guard, Glowinski, right tackle, Evan Neal, because to me, Feliciano is a stopgap at best and, and just ultimately someone I'm OK. I don't see a ceiling with somebody like Feliciano. Wouldn't be the first long haired giant to pick up center very quickly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's talk about a few other things here. Let's talk about what we've seen from a little bit of the offense here. I want to get into Kenny Galladay, who, in my opinion, what I'm love to see so far about Galladay, and I know there's been a lot of negativity surrounding Galladay because he's dropped a few passes. But what I love to see is he's being utilized in ways that he can win. He's being utilized a lot in intermediate and deep half of the field so far, as well as in the red zone. We all saw the play where uh, Dory Jackson made a really nice play on the ball on a red zone target to Galladay, broke it up. But ultimately, I've seen a lot of deep crossers for Galladay. Some of what we said, like the deep digs, the things that the throw that Daniel Jones, in my opinion, throws best besides his deep ball. And ultimately, in, in my mind, it actually might be on a per throw basis, 
a better throw than his deep ball. Because if you think about it, everyone talks about how good Daniel Jones' deep ball is. It is very good a lot of the time, but there are some definite examples on film of bad deep balls. <laughs> if you don't think that, just go back and, and find yourself a way to watch some more film because especially in, in, in inclement weather games, he's thrown some bad balls deep. But that deep dig, man, he ch- he fires that thing right over the top, right in the middle of that, in that 10 to 15 yard in, intermediate range. And that's a great way to utilize Kenny Galladay right now. I ultimately don't know how many one-on-one opportunities he's going to get downfield. He'll get some, and hopefully the Jones will throw them. Hopefully they'll cash in on them. And I'd love to see more of the back shoulder type stuff in that intermediate range on the outside, you know, uh, you know, outside the hash on the outside shoulder. But the easy money is those, is those deep ends and, and those deep crossers from Galladay. So definitely like to see that early in camp. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's how they're going to use them. This is smart coaching staff. You know, you want to try to get them those looks over the middle of the field. Hopefully you can use Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson to suck coverage away from them. It seems like the route combinations that this staff is going to utilize will try to maximize Daniel Jones' ability to find windows to throw through, depending on if it's zone or if it's man coverage. So I, that's how I would imagine he would be used. It's uh, it's interesting, though, man, with, with – with uh, seeing Kenny Galladay against Dory Jackson, two guys who the Giants signed in 2021, and now those are the top dogs at their positions. Even though, I mean, I think Kadarius Tony is going to be the number one threat, not named Saquon Barkley on this offense, not Kenny Galladay, but you still, for whatever reason, we, we seem to consider Kenny Galladay wide receiver one on this team. Yeah, I think when healthy, Kadarius Tony will actually be the number one weapon over Barkley. I I, I, I need to see more from Barkley to see if he can regain his explosion that he had at his rookie season. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he can't, but there's been a lot of lower body injuries there. And ultimately, he's not really a smart runner, and he's not a great processor, and he's not really a great running back between the tackles. He's a great weapon, but Kadarius Tony to me, is, is in some ways an even better weapon. Now, that's not to say he's a better weapon than Prime Barkley. 2018 version of Barkley was very explosive. So if you can get back to that, I agree with you on that. But ultimately... I'll definitely, I'm definitely in in the camp of thinking Kadarius Tony will be a better weapon and a harder player to defend against and game plan against for the opposing defenses than Kenny Galladay. I, I, I've gone back and forth on Galladay, Nick. I was a big supporter of him back in December, um, but ultimately, as I thought back on some of the film I watched and I looked back at some of the notes I had just before our All 22s, and then after I heard from the doctor who, you know, from somebody who worked in the hospital who did the surgery on him, who said, "Look, that hip is never going to be the same." And I thought about what I saw last year. I, I'm in the camp of I need to be proven on Galladay. For Tony, for me, I don't need to be proven anything right now. I think this dude, as long as he's healthy, is that is that dude. Like it just his for him, it's just health. That's it's that's it for Tony. There's no there's no concern. But and, and it's a little different than the than the health situation for Galladay. I know it sounds a little, I guess, conflicting there, Nick, but they're different kind of injuries, right? Galladay's an older player. And a hip injury, man, that's a big one. Like when you get hip surgery, that's uh, that changes your whole frame. That's not a great surgery in my mind to come back from. And Tony just has some, you know, nagging injuries. He hasn't had anything crazy there. So that's kind of my take on those two. I, I'm just hoping to get whatever they can out of Galladay. Same here. And I'm hoping that he can hopefully live up to that contract, right? But I just don't think that's score a t- case. But just score as as it's just a complimentary piece, that'll be fine. Yeah, just score a touchdown, win in the red zone, win on third downs, right, win your right. one-on-one matchups, win back shoulder. Like, just do that. You don't have to be the focal point of this offense with a healthy Saquon Barkley, healthy Wondell Robinson, and a healthy Kadarius Tony. Knocking on wood, let's hope it stays that way. And it's interesting because they've actually looked at some studies that just show kind of like there's been a lot, there's been a narrative that I've been hearing just listening to some fantasy football stuff 
that Matthew Stafford is kind of a kingmaker at the wide receiver position. And it's it's not really a bad take. Like if you look at some of the players he he's played with, Calvin Johnson, Marvin Jones, right? Marvin freaking Jones, Kenny Galladay. Now Cooper Cup, he goes to Cup and Cup goes from a pretty damn good slot receiver with Jared Goff to a receiver who can win all three levels of the field, 2,000 yards, 160 catches, 145 catches, whatever it was. So there is some speculate, you know, there is something to be made of Matthew Stafford as a kingmaker at that wide receiver position. I hope that's not what happened with Galladay again. We both liked the film we saw at Detroit, but I wonder, thinking even back to that, if some of that was just part of the hype of that whole offseason. Um, I hope that's not the case. But again, hopefully you can just kind of be that complimentary piece to an offense that's getting Tony Barkley and Wandell involved in a lot of the quick hitting stuff. If the Giants can stay healthy with these weapons and Daniel Jones can play just competent football, he doesn't have to be Justin Herbert. If he could just play competent football and the offensive line can protect him adequate enough to allow him just to release the football and get through some progressions, this is a this is should be a difficult team to defend. Yeah, schematically speaking and from a talent standpoint, weapons wise, there's everything in place for this to be a really good offense. That's why you see a lot of the smart money in in some of these, you know high stakes fantasy leagues and high stakes best balls people are stacking giants people think that you know just i mean a lot of it has to do with the coaching change to be honest there's going to be higher more tempo more fast plays but a lot of people like this offense upside but to me again like all of it does look good nick and i do think that you can find way i think this coaching staff has so many weapons to work with and i do feel like this offensive line will eventually be a much better unit than we've ever seen in the in last you know decade at least but unfortunately, I st- just from watching football, in my opinion, of evaluating the game, Nick, I do really feel like 80% of it is on the quarterback. And that remains to be seen for me if he's ready to, if he's ready to, to, to get all that in motion and to really utilize all those guys and to see it and to get the ball where it needs to be when those guys are in the spot they need to be to create Yag. Like, it's just so much of it to me is on that quarterback position. And that, again, so, so we'll see what happens there. Um, it's it's definitely on the quarterback position, and yeah. one one thing about the offensive line, Which is unfortunate because it would be so much easier to field a good football team if it wasn't so much on the quarterback. But yeah, go on. Yeah, that's why that's why they get paid the big bucks. But if there's one thing on the offensive line, and I'm really excited about the offensive line, it's a massive upgrade. But our ideal offensive line right now consists of two rookies, right? Like our ideal offensive line right. probably is Josh Azudu and Evan Neal. So I think there's, and you're not too certain about your center position. I think the offensive line is going to be much better if it's not as good as we hope. I think that's probably the reason. And that gives you, gives me at least a little bit of hesitation. You're really depending on those rookies that if you had your ideal starting line out there to really play to their highest potential. And that's obviously not a certainty. They've never played in the NFL before. And then you're not super confident about the center position with Feliciano as the starter. So you're just really, really confident in two of the five players. So that's just like one thing if I'm going to be a detractor. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. There's such a wide range of outcomes with the exactly. offensive line because there is, you know, the Chiefs put two rookies out there last year in Creed Humphrey and, and Trey and Trace uh Trey Smith, and they were just immediately awesome from the start. Like Creed Humphrey is already one of the five best centers in the NFL. So Stunt. yeah, he's an absolute beast. And you loved him, and we both loved him. It's I don't know where the Giants could have got him because he did end up going a little, not earlier, just like in a range that I was kind of hoping, I, th- I was hoping he'd fall a little bit. Um, and I didn't really want, you know, I still want Azizo Jalari and, and Kadaris Tony in the roster. So it's like, wasn't meant to be. But man, that would have been a fun player to have on this roster right now. Damn, it would have been cool. But yeah, you're right. There is some uncertainty with the offensive line. 
let's talk a little bit about the Daniel Jones interception to uh, Dane Belton. So for me on this play, I've rewatched it a few times. My takeaway here, Nick, is one, Jones is just sitting way too long in the pocket there. And if this was a real play, it would have been a sack. Two, what what happened with, from a vision standpoint and a processing standpoint that he doesn't recognize that Belton's going to be there? Those are probably because people are like, oh, it's a bad throw. I actually thought the ball was nice. Like I was watching the, the release point and the ball. It, it was pretty solid velocity and pretty good trajectory. And it dropped into a pretty good spot, but it unfortunately <laughs> dropped in a spot where the safety was just sitting there because he was always going to be there. There was no way to throw it in between him. So what are your thoughts on this play? Yeah, so for those who haven't seen this yet, Daniel Jones holds on to the ball for a while, but he's waiting for the deep post to kind of materialize. He steps up into the pocket, which you like to see. He, uh, Wanda Robinson was the number three receiver targeting whoever the number two receiver was who was running a deep post. What I think Daniel Jones did here was he thought the safety, Dane Belton, was going to sink on the under. That was Wondell Robinson, the number three receiver. So the innermost receiver who was kind of running like a cross to maybe like the you know seven-yard line or so. But Daniel Jones was going to attack over Dane Belton's head to hit that post to number 13. And Dane Belton being Dane Belton, doing Dane Belton things, something that we saw so much and in college at Iowa was he sunk off that Wandell Robinson route read that there was a post coming over the top baited Daniel Jones and then just sunk underneath it for an easy interception now that's just me speculating because you can't see any of what's going on in the secondary on this film but that might be what Daniel Jones was thinking he thought that he had that number two receiver on the deep post with inside leverage against Dory Jackson he could just throw him open but Belton read it and picked it off but again I'm not certain of that yeah, it's hard to see from that angle, even though shout out to whoever shot it, it was a good video, but still kind of hard to see from that angle where Belton was aligned. Um, but it did look a little bit too easy for Belton. And you, you, you really have to do a better job of reading that out. Uh, you just can't be throwing as a quarterback. You can't be throwing layup interceptions in general. He's had two of those now in camp, the one to Darnay Holmes in the red zone. And this one to Belton, that's two layup interceptions. I it's don't... also a first down too, which is like, right, it, right. which is like you're taking that shot with the safety right there on first down. You, you don't love that, but again, this is training camp. Yeah, it's training camp. It's early. This is we're not making proclamations or uh, about Daniel Jones, but you know, three, four, five practices in, two layup interceptions. You want there to be zero to to one layup interception. I don't mind the other kind of interceptions if he's testing a tight window. And he throws the ball into a really tight window and the ball's tipped and intercepted or just jumped and intercepted. Those are all fine to me. It's the layup interceptions that the ones where it's just him not reading the play out right or him with those, again, super slow eyes, super slow back there in the pocket, super slow delivery of the football, the burping of the baby, all the things that he struggled with at times throughout his career. Those layup interceptions, they got to go because the layup interceptions will kill you as a quarterback, no matter who you are. The only person who got away with them is like Brett Favre and he, and <laughs> to an extent, Eli Manning, though, I feel like Manning's interceptions were more just communication issues for a lot of our though. Manning did miss the hook, you know, the, the hook defender a lot, too. Then, <laughs> So he also did, Eli, have some some layup interceptions, but it's very hard to get away with them at the NFL level. And those who have gotten in the way away with them, at the NFL level are all quarterbacks with the elite level, 95 to 100 percentile arm talent. That is not Daniel Jones's arm talent whatsoever. It's in this. I, I'm not going to put a number on it right now, but. It's obviously not Eli Manning, Brett Favre, arm talent and, arm, and velocity. We can all see that from the, from the tape. So, again, he's just got to find a way to read these things out better and, and overall summed up as better processing. Absolutely. And I want to kind of go back a couple of days here before we get out of here and talk about that Jeremiah Hall catch. Did you see oh, yeah. that? 
Yes. That's Dude, your Jer- boy. You love yourself some Jeremiah Hall. I love gritty ass players who can wear a lot of hats who are undersized man because you know he is just dogging it out there and when you have a dude who isn't really a tight end he's an h-back he's not a fullback not really a running back but he can handle all of those responsibilities competently enough not to be a liability you're like oh man i'm sure the giants with their special teams upside can find an ability for you to actually be on this roster. So after seeing that catch, if those didn't see, he was just like running a drag route or a crossing route and it was like tight coverage. And he basically just Odell plucked the ball out of the air with one hand. And I was just like, oh crap, that's Jeremiah Hall. That's crazy. So, you know, I hope he makes the team, but again, this is going to be a tight race, man. There's going to be some good players who are going to be released. Without a doubt. And me and Nick are definitely looking forward to more coverage of Giants training camp. Again, I'm going to try to get my ass out there for some of these practices if I can, for sure. Maybe we're gonna also going to both try to get onto Fan, fan Fest, right, Nick? Are we, are we still trying to do that? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely still yeah. trying to do that. I should be yeah. in Jersey, so we'll give that a go. So for those of you in attendance at Fan Fest this Friday, we'll put out some tweets and stuff, but definitely we want to try to connect with as many of you as we can and try to meet some of the listeners, of course, talk a little Giants football, everything of that nature. So otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.